Daniel chapter 9. It's a little bit unique today because we're getting ready for the Lord's table, and yet this is a major portion of prophecy. And trying to relate those two things together, I think you'll see at the end how that does relate together. Both prophecy of the Old Testament and the Lord's table. Again, Daniel chapter 9. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, the greatest Old Testament prophecies concerning the big picture. If you uh, go to verse 20, we're just going to hit this quickly, but I want to read a part of this. Daniel says, while I was praying, or uh, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel. Again, this all started because he was praying and confessing. (laughs) If you want to be sensitive to what God wants to do in your life and wants to give you illumination, by the way, I didn't use the word inspiration, illumination, again, confess your sins. Be sensitive to the sin that is in your own life. And God's Spirit, I believe, will illumine other areas. Well, here he actually illumined and gave inspiration through the angel Gabriel, verse 21. He came at the end of the prayer, or literally it says, speak while I was speaking in prayer. And then he, he gives this, um, this uh, new information, this This prophecy in verse 24, he says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and then 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Then he says, verse 26, And after the 62nd week, 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Now notice it says after. Clock ends, clock stops, after. Then Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be like a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And then verse 27 is what we would call the 70th week of Daniel. Remember, the seven weeks have uh, have ended, the 62 weeks have ended, that's 69 of the total 70. But then verse 27 is the 70th week. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now again, I wanted to read that because sometimes we get into the passage and it's like, where where are we at? You know, as it comes to prophecy, one man wrote it this way, there is a sense in which prophecy does for us what traveling in outer space has done. Much has been learned about the earth from going out there and looking back. Things like weather patterns, location of natural resources, the lay of the land, all that. You've got to be out there to be able to understand. By the way, another thing you learn is this, how puny we really are. You look at the earth and then you look at all the stars. In a similar way, the man 
The author uh, continues, Prophecy takes us out of the limitations of seeing only what our immediate circumstance, in other words, here, and allows us to help us to see the big picture. That's what we've tried to do in the last three weeks, to see the big picture. Why? Because it makes us good stewards of the time and the energy and the resources that we have. It gives us God's perspective, doesn't it? Doesn't prophecy give you God's perspective? That really, we're just a dot, a moment of time. But there's a bigger picture, and God's accomplishing His purposes. By the way, if God accomplishes His purposes through every aspect of prophecy, every one of those prophecies are being fulfilled, specifically, intricately. Israel is still on the map, still has a purpose. (laughs) Well, when we read that, yes, we are confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us shall, shall continue it, shall finish it. Doesn't that give you... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just like he's fulfilling all of prophecy, just like he's working through Israel, just like they're back in the land, just like the, the, the time clock is clicking and we're in the 11th hour, the 59th second, just like all that is happening as far as prophetically, God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose, a plan. He's executing it just like... His, and everything's under control. Nothing's out of whack. People are trying to uh, have it their way, but actually it's God's way. Right? And that's why we really chose... If you notice with Daniel, we, we went through some of the chapters quite quickly, but when we got to the last part of chapter 9, we've slowed right down. Because this is what some people would consider the backbone of prophecy. Like, this is the text. You could take this text and write them literally have whole books written from verse 20 to the end of the chapter. This is You understand this. You understand the big picture. So we wanted to slow it right down. Now, as we get into it again, you remember that the focus, again, Daniel was praying, but the focus was found in verse 24. The second part of verse, or excuse me, the first part of verse 24 says this, just the first two lines. Seventy weeks are determined. That's the length of time. By the way, you can turn on the the, um, the projector. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, great. She did exactly like I asked her, but I forgot. Can we just turn it to one next? This one doesn't work. Okay, as we have said before, Israel had violated the Sabbath, letting the land rest 70 times over a course of 490 years. They are then sent into Babylonian captivity. And then, when he says uh, in verse uh, 24, that uh, 70 weeks are determined, again, the weeks... The 70 is there. Now, again, I, I keep saying this because notice this, 70, 70, 70. You can start getting confused. What are you talking about? You know, he's got 70 this and 70 that. And Okay, they were disobedient for seven, 70 seven-year seven seven year periods. The first time, because they violated a lot in not allowing the land to rest, God sent them into the Babylonian captivity for one One year for every year they didn't let the land rest. That's 70 years of captivity. Now, Daniel is just about right here. He's got a couple more years to go in this captivity. Israel does. And God comes through the the angel Gabriel and says, okay, now this is the final part of the plan. And again, it's 70 years. No, excuse me. 70, I keep saying 70 years. 70 weeks. Now again, the word weeks we found out over the last couple uh, weeks... (laughs) is 70 periods of seven-year units. So the bottom line is this. This amount of time is 490 years. That's what you want to... It's 70 times seven 
year units. When we say the word week, that, that word in Hebrew, week, can be, it, it literally means 70 units. Seven units. 70 times seven units. Does that make sense? I hope I don't have to ever say this really quickly. Okay, but the point is, is 70 times seven units, and we know that it's years, and you say, well, how do we know that? Well, context would say that, even from what happened over here. And here, these are all years. So again, it's 70 times 7 units. 70 times 7 years, that's 490 years. And we know that each year is 360 days, because we looked at that even from Genesis. So we have 70, uh, 70 times 7 units of years, 490 years. That's going to be the until he finishes out his program, which is found in the second part of verse uh, 24. Uh, the first three, can I do this? Or if you just hit me to uh, one there. The first three have, has got to do with taking away sin and the last three bringing in the messianic kingdom. So the, that's involved in verse uh, 24. So that kind of brings us up to last week. Now, we have three time periods. If you want to hit a, uh, just the blank. Uh, three time periods. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince. There's, there's a time frame here, until. And you say, well, when does this start? When does this time clock, this, this prophetic time clock starts? Well, he tells us to restore and build Jerusalem until. All right? So to restore and build. The first time period started when Artaxerxes gave the command to, for the for the, um, the captives to return, okay? Actually, it wasn't the captive. I shouldn't say that. It was Nehemiah. There was, a, there was a number of decrees before that. But when Nehemiah heard that the walls had been broken down and, and was given the command by the king to go back to restore, that's when it, the time clock started. And we found that last, uh, last week it was uh, March 5th, 444 B.C. That's when it started. That's when the clock started to tick. 444 B.C. By the way, I, I gave you an outline in your bulletin, uh, an, a neat little chart by, chart by uh, Chuck Swindoll that I think will help you tremendously as you uh, think through this. On the back side, you see the little chart, 70 weeks of Daniel? Again, Artaxerxes' decree. And that's, again, there's a lot of decrees in Scripture, but that's the one where he's told, he tells Nehemiah, you can go back to restore the wall. And that happened again, March 5th, or the first of Nisan, uh, 444 B.C. And then there's going to be seven weeks. And that's why uh, if you're in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, there shall be seven weeks. There's going to be a seven week. All right, so seven weeks is seven times seven years equals 49. And if you see in the little chart there, it's seven weeks, 49 years. Clock is ticking, tick, 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 tick every year, Okay. Second time period. Then after 62 weeks, well, what's happened? Well, the wall got uh, built. Actually, they got built in 52 days, but then it took a lot of other stuff as far as cleaning out Jerusalem. They say that there were streets that you couldn't even walk through because, you know, they had been destroyed and just all the... But then it took about 49 years. Back to normal, if you will. Then after 62 weeks, again, after Jerusalem is rebuilt... The next 62 weeks start. 62 times 7 years, which is 434 years. <coughs> By the way, that will conclude with the appearance of Messiah. Okay, because he says, 
to the restoring and building until Messiah the Prince. When, when Jesus comes on the scene, the prophetic clock ends first seven-week uh, seven period, then the next 62-week period, and then Messiah appears. And if you add those two time frames up, by the way, if you add up seven and 62 times seven years, that's 483 years total. I hope I'm not boring you. 483 years total, but the total number of days is this, 173,880 days. So if you go in your little chart there from 444 B.C. to A.D. 33, there's 173,880 days. To the very day, this is the whole point, to the very day from the time of the decree to the very day when Jesus walked into Jerusalem riding on a colt, uh, declaring himself to be the king, and they actually they acknowledged that he was the tri- what we call the triumphal entry. 173,880 days to the day. Talk about our God being precise. You have issues in your life, understand, God is precise. There's a reason. And God is working through. And do you think he, he doesn't only, not only sees what's happening in your life, but he also wants to give you the power and strength to endure it? Right? Our God is a very precise God. If you, if you get nothing out of this whole study of the last three weeks, understand there's precision when we're talking about prophecy. There's absolute precision as to what's, what's going to happen on that very day. In fact, Jesus even references, we, we looked at this last week in detail, we won't, but when he said this to the Jews that were worshiping him as the king, he said, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, and what he's referring to is, it was written in the prophet Daniel five centuries ago that this day I would show up and you would recognize me as, as the king. And if, and if they had received him, again, we realize they did not receive him because they, they cried crucify him just days later. But if they had received him, the promises of verse 24 could have been fulfilled. By the way, in the eternal plan of God, it was understood that the, uh, the Jews would reject him. But that's what he's proclaiming even when he goes into Jerusalem. But look at the second part of verse 26. After this, or excuse me, the first part. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Now notice, after. See, the precision. Don't put part of the 62 weeks, the 483 years. Don't make that part of Jesus dying. No, no, after. The 62 weeks. The Messiah will be cut off. That's obviously his, his atoning death on the cross. His ato- By the way, and it says, but not for himself. And, and I think what he's referring to, not for himself, is, in other words, he didn't come for, his, for himself. He came for us. But the other thing is, we did not recognize him. See, he came as king and they did not recognize him. They mocked him. They rejected him. I'm talking especially the nation of Israel. They did not recognize who he was. He didn't recognize his glory and his power and his right to rule. So not for himself. He came and was rejected and yet continued to go to do what the Father you know, wanted, which was the whole purpose of coming to this earth the first time, and that was to die for our sins, which, again, is why we celebrate today the Lord's table. As often as you eat this, drink and, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, what? we proclaim what? The Lord's death. What? Till he comes. So, 
That's the Messiah being cut off. And then, but let's get into the next part. We haven't even gone here yet. It says, and Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. He was rejected and yet still accomplished God's will. <coughs> 26b. And the people of the prince who is to come. Now, this is very important. Because see, Messiah is called the prince in verse 25. But now we come uh, uh, with the same word, the prince. Now, probably in your version, it's a small p. Because the prince here is different than the prince in verse 25. Verse 25, it's the Messiah, the prince. That's obviously Christ. The one who's cut off in verse 26 is obviously Christ. It says Messiah. But now it says, and the people of the prince who is to come. This is, this is a different prince. This is Antichrist. Okay? The prince who is to come. The opposite of verse 25. The anti. We've seen him, by the way. We've seen this guy already. In, verse, in chapter uh, 7 of Daniel, uh, verse 8, it says he's the little horn. Remember the horns, and then out of that, three are destroyed in the little horn. Well, we saw him in uh, chapter 8, verse 23. He's called the king. We're going to see him in chapter 11, verse 36, as the willful king. These are all other names for the Antichrist, the final uh, world leader who tries to go against the Messiah. So this is, but the the point of, of this is not really the prince. It's the first part of the sentence and the people of the prince. The people, who are the people of the prince? Well, he would be referring to the the people of the four uh, Gentile world powers that we've been talking about. Remember the image. Remember the beasts that come out of the sea. You know, you've got, uh, you got the, uh, Babylon, and then you've got Medo-Persia, you've got Greece, and then you have Rome. Those are his people, the world, the ungodly pagans, those who have never received Christ, the four Gentile world empires. By the way, the empires continue to build on each other. You, Babylon uh, got infused into Medo-Persia, and they just got in... in, 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 in um, uh, I guess infuse is a word. Um, And then Greece, and they just kind of built, you know, and the empires just keep building. It wasn't like Babylon was over here and Medo-Persia. No, they they came together. Once uh, Babylon got uh, destroyed and conquered, they were infused right into Medo-Persia. Then you had Greece, and they were, you know, they they, they just took all the captives, as it were. And and so this is, is a composite. So these are the people, and the people of the prince who is to come. He, they, excuse me, they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, what is he, what are they referring to destroy the city? Well, the city would be who? What? Jerusalem, right? And the sanctuary would be what? What? Temple, right? What do you mean temple? The temple's not even there. I mean, they're off into Babylon captivity. This is what's happening here. And I'll get a little technical. But the point is, is this. They had the temple, or Nebuchadnezzar comes in, destroys the temple, takes away the captives. That's how Daniel gets to Babylon. Now Daniel is receiving this from uh, the angel Gabriel. The question is this, is it going to be smooth sailing from this point on? See, the people go back to the land. Is it going to be smooth sailing? And this passage is saying, no, no. (laughs) There's still going to be a lot of desolation to Jerusalem. There's going to be other times where they are going to be desolated. And it's going to be by the people, the people of the prince. In other words, it's going to be 
Antichrist people. Except it's going to be before, this is the point. Antichrist is in the future. This right here is to us in the past. It's going to, it's actually prophecy to Daniel because this happens in 70 AD. But it's, he's not referring to uh, the final great tribulation. He's saying, listen, there's going to be tribulation between the time of uh, you going back to the land and then even the final desolation. So, the destruction of the city and the sanctuary foretells the, of the Romans led by Titus who destroyed the city and the sanctuary, leaving Jerusalem in ruins in A.D. 70. You might want to write this down. A.D. 70 is a huge time uh, uh, point in history for the Jewish people. A.D. 70. What, A.D. 70? How many years is that from the time of Christ's death, approximately? How many? Christ's death happened, what, around A.D. 33? So how many years? Less than 40. So this is what happens. Messiah is cut off. And then something happens to Jerusalem and the temple again in the timeline. Okay. Now, if you look at your uh, little uh, chart there, it says this triumphal entry. Christ is cut off. Jerusalem is destroyed again in A.D. 70. By the way, do you think that, would you start getting discouraged as a people? If you've just, you haven't even come out of captivity for the first time, and now you're being told something else is going to happen, which was 500 years in the future. And yet, Daniel writes it down. Why? Why does Daniel, why does God want us to know this? Because it's all part of the plan. See, When you have hard times and tribulations and temptations in this world, isn't it comforting to know that the Word of God already says you should have hard times, tribulation, and temptation? Jesus said they hate me, they're going to hate what? You. So when you're hated, does that like, Whoa! Boy, the world really doesn't like Christians. Well, John 16 already said it, right? Jesus said that. So, he's... Gabriel's telling Daniel, so we would know, and the Jewish people more specifically... This is going to happen. And it's going to happen by the people of the prince. It's going to be his people. Where does, where does the Antichrist come out of? The revived Roman Empire, which is the end of the, you know, the, the four, four world empires. That's his people. That's who's going to destroy Jerusalem. And it's going to be, look at the end of it shall be like a flood, with a flood. Not a literal flood. He's talking about judgment. It refers to Jerusalem which again was destroyed as a judgment. And I believe this, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was again destroyed because of, their re- because of a judgment, because they rejected the true Messiah. God said, okay, you didn't want to receive him when he came and destroyed Jerusalem again. There was great suffering. By the way, if you want to read of this a little bit more, it's in Luke 21, verse 20. And the only reason that's important is because verse 24 says this. Well, a lot of reasons, but verse 24 says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword, talking about those in Jerusalem, and be led away captive into all nations. Now think about this. You, we were disobedient. You brought us into Babylon, 70-year captivity. Jesus says in, in Luke 21, and you're going to be, this is going to happen to you again, and you're going to be taken away captive to all nations. You're going to be spread across the entire world again. Led away captain of all nations. Verse 24 of Luke 21. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 
It's going to keep happening until the times are done. So the destruction of Jerusalem. By the way, let me give you a picture. Again, this is the time frame. Uh, the 62-week ended. That's the, 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 the last uh, part of the 483 years. There's only one week left, okay? Then Messiah is cut off. That's the first big thing that happened after the 62nd week was ended. Messiah was cut off. But then again, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that happened in 70 AD. Let me give you a little picture of what happened. Writing of the Roman conquest of Judea of, of, of 70 AD, archaeologist, journalist Warner Keller wrote, speaking of Jerusalem, it was, quote, extinguished in an inferno which is almost unparalleled in history, and it's called the Jewish War. Now, what was happening at that time? Well, first of all, you had a Jewish revolt. Remember one of the disciples was called uh, Simon the Zealot? What was happening? Rome was in power. Rome ruled Jerusalem. The, Jew, uh, the Jewish people were getting more and more frustrated with their, their rule. And you started to see uprisings by the Jews in Jerusalem right during the time of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Just take it a few more years. As time went on, protests against the Romans became more vocal. Groups of zealots and rebels began carrying weapons and would seek out and slay Roman soldiers at night. The open rebellion broke out in A.D. 66. So that's just like 33 years after Christ's death. The Roman garrison was overrun. Now think about this. The Imperial Rome has this little city, Jerusalem, and they're being overrun by Jews. What do you think Imperial Rome is going to do? Jerusalem fell into the hands of rebels. Prohibition of daily sacrifices from the emperor meant an open declaration of war against the Roman world empire. Tiny Jerusalem threw down the gauntlet at Rome's feet and challenged the great Imperial Empire. That's what they did in AD 66. So what was Rome's response? The Roman emperor Nero gave General Titus Flavius Vespasian, which was a hero in the Britain War, so he's already a hero, the task of subduing Israel. He takes basically three legions of soldiers and other supports to Galilee. And what, he's, what is he going to do? He's going to stomp out for once and for all the rebels in Jerusalem. 6,000 Jews from Galilee were sent as slaves to build the Corinth Canal. So you start seeing what they're, they're going to just deport again, everybody. One prisoner was, this is why this is important. One of the prisoners that was taken in the first capture of Jerusalem, or as they were going up there, was Josephus. Any of you ever remember the name Josephus? He was a great Jewish historian. That's when he was captured. See, he was first-hand information. By the spring, now that was around 67 A.D. By the spring of 68 A.D., six months later, the countryside surrounding Jerusalem had been taken. And all that remained was taking Jerusalem itself. So they were starting to bottleneck. The historian uh, Keller writes, In the midst of the fighting, news came which from the, from the, time, uh, for the time halted the campaign. Nero had committed suicide. So all of a sudden, the emperor, the Caesar, committed suicide. Nero. They're leaderless in Rome. Civil war breaks out in Rome. The general Vespasian, I think is how you the general that was leading the, the, uh, the, the, to conquer Jerusalem had to then return back to Rome. He actually became the emperor. 
and left his son Titus in charge. Titus was supposed to basically mop up, destroy Jerusalem and mop up, take the captives and all that. Titus began the final assault of Jerusalem in the spring of A.D. 70. He had about 100,000 soldiers. By the way, in Jerusalem, there was only about 200,000 inhabitants. That's including men, women, children, slaves. I mean, really outnumbered. I mean, you're talking Roman soldiers, you know, uh, armed to the hilt. So he's got 100,000 soldiers. The city was subjected, first of all, to artillery. Again, throwing massive stones against the walls, trying to break the walls down. And was surrounded by a huge bound of refuse to prevent escape. Those who tried to either escape or, let's say, tried to uh, engage the enemy outside of the wall were captured and crucified. They said it was nothing to see 500 crucified individuals uh, on the outside of the city wall every morning. It was just because they wanted to say, you know, you don't go against Rome. The forests around Jerusalem were completely destroyed. Why? Because they had to make ramps and catapults, the fires, you know, for the uh, night fires, for the crosses, for everything that... Everything was being decimated both around Jerusalem and in Jerusalem. As time went on, an unbearable stench arose from the bodies of those who died in battle, from starvation or on the crosses surrounding Jerusalem. The famine in Jerusalem was severe. Thousands of corpses were literally just thrown over the city wall just to try to get rid of them. Josephus wrote that it devoured the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms were full of women and children that were dying by famine, and the lanes or the roads of the city were full of bodies of the aged. The children and the young men wandered about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with the famine, and fell down dead, not able to do um, whatsoever their misery seized them. As far as burying them, those who were sick themselves were not able And even the hardy ones decided not to because many of them would start burying someone and die of exhaustion themselves. Other things that happened. Stories of best friends fighting because they thought someone had food. Robbers going to homes two, three times in the very same day thinking that maybe they'd find something when they had just robbed it and found nothing. And as Josephus said with regret, he said, I saw people gnawing and chewing leather off their shoes and off their belts, hoping to get some nutrients out of the leather. And a mother killed and roasted and ate her own child because of hunger. Okay, when Gabriel tells Daniel, verse 26, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary... The end of it shall be like a, with a flood. That's what he's referring to. That's 70 A.D. August 70 A.D., a few months later, Romans had penetrated the city where they erected their banner, the Roman banner, and made sacrifices to their God, the city and the sanctuary. The sanctuary is again destroyed. Murder and plundering of the city fouled. Josephus records this. About 97,000 of the inhabitants were taken captive and about 110,000 were just killed. So between the whole thing, the 200,000 either were taken captive or killed and they were sent all over the world, ultimately. 
By the way, for most uh, people, that would be the end of the people. Like if you took uh, 97,000 Hittites and just sent them all over the world, you would, no more Hittites. By the way, that's what you find. No more Hittites, no more Amorites. But you still have the Jews because God said, There's, I still have a plan for my, my nation Israel. Again, the history of the Jewish people continues even to this day. You find in the Crusades they were slaughtered. You find after the Crusades they were slaughtered. You find it all the way up to the Holocaust. The Jews are hated, the Jews are persecuted, the Jews are hunted down and killed, and yet they still remain. In fact, David Jeremiah wrote in his little commentary here, I I found this interesting. He said this, In answer to his prayer, God said he hadn't forgotten his promises. Someone has said that the king of Egypt couldn't diminish the Jews, and the waters of the Red Sea could not drown them, Balaam couldn't curse them, Fiery furs couldn't devour them. The gallows of Haman couldn't hang them. Nations couldn't assimilate them. And dictators couldn't annihilate them. They're still here. They're still here. And that's why you find when you refer to Jews, the Russian Jews, the German Jews, the Polish Jews, the American Jews. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Again, I think you see all that. Why? Because they're so hated. Nobody wants to assimilate them. You come into the neighborhood, stay in your own area. Actually, for God's purposes, that's perfect. Now, we come to the last part, and then we have to... We're going towards the communion. This has an end, I think, with even communion. The future Antichrist will reign over the revived Roman Empire. This is yet in the future. Again, seven weeks has been completed. Sixty-two weeks has been completed. Total of 69 weeks, 483 years. But now there's this big gap of time. By the way, there's many times in Scripture where there's big gaps of time. If you, if you just think about Isaiah 9, verse 6. Remember, it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's all first coming. But then it says, And the government will be upon his shoulders. That's second coming. That's, there's a huge gap between that, that first sentence and the second sentence. Let's just look at this last, this last week. <coughs> and you say, well, how do you know it's a week? Because verse 27 says, one week. He wants to be very careful. Let's make sure we're not talking about a huge amount of time. One, one last seven units, which is seven years. This third division, and again, you see this in Chuck Swindoll's little outline in the back there. The last three and a half, or last seven uh, years is broken up into two parts, three and a half and three and a half each. It says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. He's going to confirm a covenant with many. The many is the Jews, the Jewish nation. By the way, this is the first half of the tribulation. He's going to be considered a hero. Again, the he there is Antichrist. He's yet's future. By the way, I believe he's living right now. I believe we are on the... Boy, you start looking at Scripture and then you look at world events. The clock is ticking. We're, I don't ever believe I'm going to get to retirement. Thank the Lord. I don't have any anyways. Anyways, point is, <laughs> make a strong cup. By the way, don't live for retirement. Live for eternity. I think Americans are doing themselves a disfavor in eternity. We live for e- retirement. <laughs> and God may say, you know, all that money that you put aside there should have been used for the kingdom because you never got to it. ESV says, make a, he made a strong covenant. New American says, make a firm covenant. This is the first half, okay? 
At first, the Antichrist, apparently, he makes a covenant. If you make a covenant with someone, <clears throat> he confirms a covenant. Apparently, he's, I, I believe he's, he's even looked upon as a hero. Um, you put other passages to, together, uh, perhaps Israel wants to, you know, worship in the temple, and he finally makes the covenant where they can do that. And he's trusted. Revelation 6.2 says of this man, He who sat on it, being Antichrist, had a bow and a crown. It was given to him, and he went about conquering and to conquering. You know what's missing out of there? He had a bow but no arrows. The idea is this. He had the ability to conquer without arrows, without having to... Uh, in other words, he did it. He did it with his negotiations. He was a great politician. He was able to accomplish a peace pact with the rest of the world, and Israel's in the land and at peace. And probably is able to even uh, worship in the tribulation temple. By the way, those implements are already made, and you heard about that with Jimmy DeYoung. So again, he's a hero, he is a protector. Ezekiel 38 predicts that Israel will feel secure in the land coming up to the tribulation time. Perhaps because the protection is given by Antichrist. But something happens here. He becomes a traitor. Verse 27, second part. But in the middle of the week, that's what's middle of half of seven is what? Three and a half years. Right? In the middle of the... He shall bring an end to the sacrifices and offering. By the way, the fact that we have offerings and sacrifices mean the temple was was working, and apparently it was because of him that the temple was being allowed to, you know, that the Jews were going to the temple. It was because of him. Because it says he shall bring an end to the sacrifices and offering. He was the one that allowed it in the first place. So in the middle of the seven-year covenant with Israel, he breaks his covenant with Israel, and that, by the way, that marks on your little outline there that the middle of that one week, that's the starting point of what we call the Great Tribulation. See, the first three and a half years is just tribulation. That's when God is judging the earth with all the bowl judgment or the um, seal judgments. But then you get to the second half, and He actually allows Israel to now be persecuted, and that's called the Great tribulation the time of Jacob's trouble and and antichrist turns out to be a traitor not a friend not a hero not a protector he's a he's a traitor he stops the offerings and causes uh, it says the wings of extreme uh, of abominations i think what he's talking about is extreme suffering to the nation that they have never experienced up to that point as a nation. Now you say, but wait, they were in 70-year captivity. They, 70 A.D. And Yeah, but they will experience in the Great Tribulation worse horrors than even those other two time frames. That's why I went through A.D. 70, because I want you to see. that You thought that was bad? No, nothing like it's coming, both for the world and for the Jewish nation. And not only that, but this Antichrist is a desecrator. Not just a traitor, but a desecrator. Second <coughs> Thessalonians 2, verse 3 says, talking about Antichrist. Actually, verse 4. 2, 4. Second Thessalonians 2, 4. He exalts himself above all that is called God. This is the Antichrist. Or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Finally, at the very end, in the midst of the three and a half years, 
Antichrist stops the worship of the true God, stops the sacrifices in the tribulation temple, and sits himself up and says, I want you now to worship me. That's why he's called Antichrist. Replacement of Christ. By the way, if you want more information, go to Revelation 13, verses 4 to 15. It talks about the beast, referring to Antichrist. What's interesting there is you also see And it says, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. That's the last half of the tribulation. The idea is this. You see in Scripture, whether it's it's 1,260 days, 42 months times two, because there would be two 42-month periods, or one week, or one seven-year period. The whole point is this. Every time you see in Scripture, when it talks about the tribulation, that final one, it comes up to seven years. That's why your outline at the very top, what is the title of it? The what? The 70th week of Daniel. Right? Is that what I put? Help me out here. I didn't put year, did I? No, week. And you, know, you might say, what do you mean week? Okay. The 70th. Why? Because we've already gone through the 7, and we've gone through the 62. Clock stops. Messiah cut off. Jerusalem, totally destroyed. People, totally dispersed. No more, no more nation Israel, no more Jew. Oh, but God's in sovereign. And what happens, what would not happen to any other nation happened to Israel. And that is, now in 1917, what, 90,000 Jews come back to the land. 1948, they become a nation. And God is moving them. And God is working. Why? Because that's his people. There's a purpose and plan. And just the fact that they were able to survive 2,000 years without a land, and they come back as Jewish or German Jews and Ethiopian Jews and Russian Jews, and now they're in the land, that is total miracle. That is total miracle. But they still have not recognized their Messiah. So when all seems lost... Christ would deliver a crushing blow to the false prince and his followers. Then with splendor and majesty, as one man wrote, he will inaugurate his kingdom in everlasting righteousness. Now, I say all that to say that, why do I say that? Because that's what happens at the very end. See, Antichrist has set himself up as king. And then the world turns on Israel, and they're ready to destroy completely, once and for all. And you know what happens? Jesus Christ comes back. And they have no choice but to believe in their Messiah at that point. They're, and we're going to study all about that when we get to Revelation. But you say, well, how does this, how does this relate here? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know, I just think about this over and over again. And we're going to, I'm going to read this again. I'm going to quote it in just a moment. But it says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Till he comes. He's coming back. And when he comes back, it's going to be at that very perfect moment. And, but the moment is going to be this, when Antichrist is reigning at the moment. And he set himself up in the temple. And then things start to go really bad for Israel, which they already had by that point. And then Jesus Christ, the true king, will come back. And he will present himself and... First and, fi- and finally, after all these many, many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, it says in Romans that all of Israel will be saved. They will finally turn to their Messiah. And so what they do not understand, although some Jews do individually, 
We are celebrating right now. Isn't that great? We understand what it means by cut off. He died. But he died for us. He died for us individually. And yet we celebrate not a dead Savior. We celebrate a resurrected Savior. No, but we don't just celebrate a resurrected Savior. We celebrate a resurrected Savior who is not here at the moment. He's at the right hand of the Father. Who is ready to come back at the very moment. By the way, after seven years, all that is going to happen. All that will be fulfilled precisely. But at the very moment, one has been already set by the Father that he would return. So when we read that last, till he comes, let's remember precision. Precision. It's all about God's plan. He knows everything. And he knows you. Sure that you're worthy. Make sure you come with a pure heart. Don't partake of this table 